Many years ago, I was chatting with a work colleague when she brought up that she and her husband were separating. The relationship had several challenges, but guess what was an aha moment for her about the root of her problems? Neither of them knew how to argue. Growing up, they rarely, if ever, saw their parents in conflict, so they thought conflict was to be avoided at all costs. Unfortunately, the cost was their marriage. Our question this episode, how can we learn to model healthy family conflict for the benefit of our relationships? Welcome to episode 15 of How Can I Say This, where we talk about how to find the right words when words escape us. I'm your host, Beth Bilo. Thank you so much for joining me. In this episode, we're going to explore how adults can normalize conflict for one another and for their children. Even if you're like me and you don't have children, what my guest shares is applicable to the workplace, since there are similar authority-subordinate hierarchies at play, just as there are in the home. Let's get right to the conversation. I'm joined in this episode by mediator Charlotte Parsons. Charlotte is a parenting coordinator, parent educator, and an empty nest mom and wife of 29 years, and she lives in Columbus, Ohio. Like many mediators, she comes from a variety of backgrounds with previous careers in journalism, healthcare, and parent education, with degrees from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Charlotte is addicted to lifelong learning and loves sharing resources to help others become more confident with conflict. Charlotte recommends the Association of Conflict Resolution and AFCC, which stands for the Association of Family and Conciliation Courts, as well as Bill Eddy's High Conflict Institute, all of which provide a wealth of information about how to handle conflict. I'll include links to those resources, as well as others mentioned in our conversation, on the webpage for this episode at HowCanIsayThis.com. Be sure to keep listening after the conversation for a few ideas on how to put the tips Charlotte shares into action. Hi, Charlotte. Welcome to How Can I Say This? I am, I'm really looking forward to this conversation about uh, conflict in families, and um, I'm delighted that you agreed to chat with me. Hi, Beth. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. I think it's you know, a great topic, and I know your podcast is so useful to so many people. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, yeah, thank you. Well, I want to jump right in, because this is something that I, as I started studying conflict, thinking about conflict, I realized, at least my theory is, that one of the reasons that adults don't feel comfortable with conflict, you know, the, the, there, there are the rare adults that are like, sure, bring it on, right? But <laughs> most people are, <laughs> they, they think it's something to avoid. And I think the reason they're not comfortable with it is because they didn't have healthy conflict modeled for them when they were kids. What is it that you have found keeps parents from experiencing or understanding conflict as a normal part of a family? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think with conflict, I mean, there's so many ways you can interpret conflict. Mm-hmm. And in families, when you're growing up, you know, there's a certain level of dynamic that comes along of what is acceptable for conflict. You know, some children will grow up in a family where conflict is constant bickering, arguing, whatever, but it's still a happy, loving family. It's just the culture of that family. Other families grow up that if there is an argument, that is seen as a big deal, and it's frightening to people because they don't have a style. And I think there's a, a wide range of What's okay? You know, what is mm-hmm. what is normal for that family and, and is it healthy or not? 
So conflict isn't necessarily uh, war. You know, sometimes it's simply disagreement, arguing, um, or agreeing to disagree. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and you bring up a great point. And, and this is one of the things I did early on in the podcast is just ask that basic question of how do you define conflict? Because one of the reasons we get uncomfortable with it is because we define it, like you said, as, as it's war. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it, it could just be a simple, I think something different than you think. Right. I think one thing that, that is hard for families is if they get into an all or nothing thinking, you're know, kind of black and white thinking mm. about conflict, whether it's healthy or not healthy. You know, there are some families that may feel, oh, we, any disagreement must be, you know, the children must be sheltered from any disagreement. Um, very black and white thinking on that. And that, that can, I think, be a problem because if there's a little bit of gray area, you know, if parents can find a way to demonstrate and show children, well, sure, we don't always agree on things. Um, you know, the classic, you say tomato, I say tomato, or, or you like mm-hmm. chocolate, I like vanilla, or whatever it might be, and that that's okay, then, then children can learn that there are proper ways to handle disagreement with those you love. And that's important, because as they get older, they're going to have disagreement with those they don't love, you know, classmates, neighbors, people in the, in the world. Mm-hmm. So if they've learned in that sheltered environment, how to disagree well, (laughs) Mm -hmm. then I think you get a level of the quality and quantity of of conflict. So, you know, if you say you've minimized conflict for children, that's great. In a household, though, when there are disagreements, the quality of the conflict could be really worth exploring. And that's what I mean by getting into the gray area, Mm -hmm. showing your children if the two adults or three adults or whoever's in the household disagree about something, being able to define it, contain it, work with it, and then put it aside. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. You know, some of those things can be so useful for children to learn to not be afraid of conflict and define it in in ways that are natural to that family. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate you said that um, part of the culture of the family. And is it something that is, like you said, you know, acceptable? Um, and, and what forms of conflict are acceptable and which aren't? And how intentional, I guess, that's that's another word that comes up as we're talking about this, is how mm-hmm. intentional are the parents about the example that they're setting? Is it something that they're aware of? Yeah, I think that's a, a great point you're making is, you know, you may realize in just a, in a dinner table conversation, that you express an opinion or another party expresses an opinion and then there's a response. So you may not realize you're heading into a disagreement or a conflict until it's there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I think it's really good practice for the adults to recognize it and say, oh, here we go. This could be, you know, a little conversation. It could be an argument. And then take a step back and then decide, okay, how are we going to handle this at this point? Is it something that's a big enough conversation that needs to be held away from the children? Or is this a good learning opportunity to, okay, let's explore this a little. You know, let's take a step back and set the boundaries. I think, you know, 100% of this is acknowledging or recognizing where you are. And that's easier said than done. Yes. <laughs> so you may yeah. go down a slippery slope before you catch it. And you're like, oh, okay, now we're fighting, or oh, whoops, now this is a a blow-by-blow argument. Mm -hmm. But knowing that you can take a step back and saying, you know, it looks like we we disagree on this a little bit, but I'd like to 
on it because what you're saying is really important or what you're saying, you know, really makes sense. I'd like to do a little research on this. Let's talk about this after dinner. Let's look this up and talk about it tomorrow. So even if it starts to get a little tricky and the kids, kids are going back and forth, you know, at the dinner table, like ping pong. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's contain it. Let's back it back. Now that's an adult conversation. Yeah. There could also be a conversation between the adult and the child. And that's very common, right? It could right. be a two or three year old who no longer wants to sit at that table or does not want those vegetables or whatever. <laughs> or it could be a teenager who feels that, you know, whatever's going on is totally unfair and ruining their life, you know. It can be anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and that's that's a conversation I want to have um, in a future episode with you for sure. Because as you mm-hmm. and I, you know, had a prep conversation for this, we found all sorts of different angles that we can put this in. And definitely the parent to the child is, and child yep. of, children of all ages is a really important one. So as we're talking about these healthy and unhealthy conflicts, creating a culture of healthy conflict, I guess, mm-hmm. how can I tell... I'm not sure if this is a fair question or not, but sort of how can I tell if the conflict that I'm having perhaps with my partner is healthy or unhealthy in a family setting? Like, how do I, I I feel awkward about the question, but like, how do I determine or what are some examples that I can tell? Is this okay by maybe broader standards? Because even as I ask that, I'm thinking, well, it probably depends on the person. Somebody might think one thing is unhealthy and the other says, no, it's perfectly healthy. But I guess from your general experience, what do you see as healthy and unhealthy? Well, I think you hit it right on the head when you said it depends, because it, it really does. It, yeah. <laughs> each child is going to have their own tolerance level, their own comfort level at different ages. You could have several children sitting around mm-hmm. and they're each going to have a different impact from, from whatever's happening in front of them. So it is not an easy question. You just cannot one size fits all this one. Um, but yeah, yeah. if you know your children and you know, you know how their stress responses are, how they may internalize things, because it may not be obvious. You may have some children that will put their hands on their ears and say, stop fighting. And the parents weren't even fighting. They were just having a conversation. Mm. You may have other children who jump right in and want to take sides and, and champion the underdog or, or whatever. This is where having knowledge of your children and then maybe more importantly, taking their temperature all the time. So as a conversation's going on, if you do have an audience or even do you have an audience nearby that you're not aware, mm-hmm. how are you keeping tabs of that as well as having your conversation? And that's not easy and even good reason to put off a conversation if you feel there's a risk of some stress there. But it's also great modeling for children to see how adults can have a conversation, do really good listening with each other. You know, and the other person says something, say, well, you know, I, I'm not sure I, I agree with what you're saying. Tell me more about that. I want to I want to hear more about what your thinking is on that or I want to know more about what you know. Mm-hmm. And showing sort of that undivided attention and caring about the other person, the child is going to absorb the good of that even if it is an argument, if we use good arguing practice. Yeah. I think that's a, a, a tricky thing to do, and it, it is practice. My number one favorite go-to for parents is having 
good listening skills. Yeah. I think that's one of those lifelong skills. Honestly, my, you know, my goal is by the time I'm a grandparent, I hope that I am really good at that. <laughs> and true, you know, I use this professionally as a mediator, as a parenting coordinator and other things I do. But it's not something that is easy to do in our own families. You know, so those of us that are professionals that use listening professionally, we might be, you know, crackerjack skilled at that. But when we get home at the end of a long day, <laughs> are we still able to be mm-hmm. fully present for any conversations that come up and not just click right into, you know, the, I'm the authority and I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to tell you what's what. How are we able to listen to um, anybody around us that has a disagreement with us? That's, I think that's really critical. Yeah. Yeah. So you're making me think that whether a conflict is healthy or unhealthy, it isn't about the subject matter necessarily. It isn't about even the volume of the conversation, maybe even, you know, the things that we might traditionally think of as like, that's not healthy to be shouting at each other, right? Mm -hmm. It has more to do with whether or not they're listening, whether or not they're aware of what's happening. Like you said, you know, you you kind of reach that awareness as you're having that conversation at the dinner table. Is it pivoting towards, uh uh-oh, this is kind of going into argument territory as opposed to just conversation territory. So having that awareness of, what the boundaries are of what you feel as a parent perhaps is appropriate to be talking about in front of your children or talking about in front of anybody really, you know, besides your, your partner that healthy or unhealthy is like a series of small pieces of awareness and choice that you have. And that as you practice, you can get more intuitive about it. For sure. And you know, some of it is perception. I'm sure you've run into cases where, you can ask the members of a family that are a variety of ages what their memory of a certain, say, life event that happened in their past was. Mm-hmm. Each person in that family is going to have a different memory of that. And it brings to mind a family that, that I was involved with where the teenage daughter and the mother, the memory of the younger sibling was that those two were always screaming at each other, both of them, just going crazy all the time, screaming, screaming, fighting all the time. When in reality... It was only the parent that was screaming, and the teenager never, ever spoke back, just took it, Mm -hmm. was silent. But the younger person's memory is that there was constant back and forth between those other two. So, you know, that to me is just fascinating, how the memory and the impression isn't always the reality. It's an impact. Whatever that impact is on, on a child, you just don't know, but are you able to help that along? Are you able as a parent to put your finger on that pulse Mm -hmm. and see what might be needed? And it's never too late to change it. You know, if you feel that conversations just get out of hand, how can parents look at that and say, okay, what can we do to change this? Mm -hmm. There are so many ways. In fact, one of my favorite ways for parents to look at this is watch how your children handle their own conflicts, because they are probably doing little copycat behaviors that you show them, that you've taught them. Mm-hmm. So it, it can be humbling. Yeah. But I can remember lots of things in my own history. But one thing that I just saw recently was a three-year-old that just out of frustration for something about a sibling, screamed at um, his father 
in the same tone of voice, and I recognized it <laughs> as his father would use to discipline the child. Wow. And I was like, oh, there it is. Yep. You know, it has kind of a monkey see, monkey do kind of thing. The children will do exactly what we do. And that's so, you know, no pressure, right? right. <laughs> but they do tend to pick up on that. And you'll see it. You'll see it often with the way they respond back to you as the adult, but often it's with their siblings or friends or even pets. Mm-hmm. Even in their um, imaginary play, you'll hear tones of voice. And if you're honest with yourself, listen to it and be able to say, oh, I wonder if I want to shift that a little bit. I wonder if I can teach my child a better way. Because when they get out in the real world, it's going to cost them. They are lacking conflict-resolving skills. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's such a great point. You know, we we think of kids as sponges, right? And they're absorbing everything around them. And we forget that they're also mirrors to us. They're just reflecting back mm-hmm. what they see. And like you said, monkey see, monkey do. <laughs> and so it could be, I can imagine it being very humbling to be able to look at that and, and be really honest with yourself and say, where did they get that? Uh-huh. Now here's an example, too. When our son was finished with preschool, he was switching to the local elementary school and there was a sort of a welcome orientation day before school started. And our son had climbed up onto a little fort and sitting up on top, just sort of taking it all in, enjoying himself. And I was sitting nearby with my husband. We were just kind of watching, taking it in. Well, he came down to tell us something. And when he was going to return to his perch, he looked back and saw that another little boy had taken his spot. And my son looked right back at me with a little bit of outrage in his eyes. He was like, Mommy, that other boy took my spot. And our son had gone to a a Montessori school where they used a very formulaic phrasing for for describing your opinion about those types of things. And I said to him, well, it sounds like you have a message for that little boy, not me. Would you like help with that? And he said, no, no, I'll, I'll go talk to him. So he walked over and looked way up high. And my husband, and I just watched, like, what, how's this going to go? And he said in a very formulaic way, I have a message for you. You took my spot. I want my spot back. <laughs> And the other little boy looked down at him and said, huh? (laughs) (laughs) And it was just one of those moments like, well, he has a resolving formula in his head of how to to say his opinion. And that's great. Mm -hmm. Better than pushing somebody off the perch. Right. But we knew it was going to be a bit of a transition because he's not going to speak the same language as the other kids around. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. You know, giving our kids some tools, looking at their lives, what do they need right now? And this could be a any age, but we are modeling that. So when we say to our partners, any disagreement we might have, hey, you know, I noticed this and my opinion of this is this other thing. So I'm wondering if we could talk about that. You know, having some kind of a default formula when you want to can be very useful instead of just blurting out, hey, you jerk, I don't like that, you know, Mm -hmm. or something else Mm -hmm. that you might be feeling. It helps give our kids a, a structure and a scaffolding to build on. Yeah. And that can be really useful to them in their lives. Yeah. I love that idea of having some language that you can go to in those moments that can help you sort of recalibrate and, and check in. And, and I think of even, you know, small things like I realized my husband is involved in work that I am also intimately familiar with and, and was trained, you know, went to school for and whatnot. So he comes home after a stressful day and starts venting. 
I want to fix things, right? Yes. You know, I want to just jump in yes. and be like, okay, let's problem solve this or something. And it's like, that's not always what he needs. And, and if I do jump in and start to try to problem solve, that can escalate, right, to more tension and conflict between us because I haven't checked in with him. Right. So now I know... And he does the same with me. You check in and you say, how can I help you right now? Or what support do you need from me right now? Do you want me to just listen or do you want me to help problem solve? Absolutely. And that makes a huge difference. Yeah. I use that same exact example. When my husband would come home from his work and the same thing, you go into the tendency of, you know it so well. You know the other person so well mm-hmm. that you want to say, oh, well, did you say this? Or why don't you go talk to? I tell you, anytime I hear myself say, why don't you? It is time to back it up because I'm getting ready to say something that wasn't asked for and Mm -hmm. will be shot down, (laughs) even Mm -hmm. if it's a good idea. Exactly. Because that's not what people want from us. People want a listening sounding board. And when they want advice, they'll say, what would you do? Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) It is is very tempting to go that way. And that's, that's partly where I feel anytime someone comes to you come to me, come to a person with something to say. That's when I want to go into a what I call sort of slow the moment. I want to slow down and ask myself, okay, where am I? And now where are they? Mm-hmm. Instead of just jumping right in. Because I do have a quick trigger. I mean, I, I do. I want to I want to help. I want to talk. I want to you know, understand. But you can't help until you know what's needed. Yeah. And that person needs the chance to process and share with you. Yep. And that's that's sort of I think really important. Yeah. And it's and to me it's important. It's it's part of modeling again um, for for kids or anybody else in the household how to navigate conversations where one person might have different expectations than the other because that's often what will lead to that kind of conflict that then escalates and you know becomes something that is uh, not as healthy as you would like. <laughs> right. So understanding, yeah, how how to navigate those conversations for yourself. Gosh, there's so much more that I want to talk about. And And I'm going to resist the urge because I know we're going to be having another conversation again in the new year. Yes, because I do want to talk about power dynamics as well as how to have conversations directly with the kids. Like we've been talking mostly like how do the the parents model something for the rest of the household. Um, But Mm -hmm. I also want to, in a future conversation, touch on okay, so what about parent to child? Absolutely. So that's a little teaser for conversations to come. That That is worth its own show, for sure. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I want to close by just touching on something that we spoke about prior to hitting record, which was one of the, the ways that parents can, or adults in general, you know, no matter what the context is, anytime you're in a sort of public form, whether that's at work or at home, that part of being able to manage conflict and and be okay with it and normalize it is doing your own work, right? Like Mm -hmm. taking care of your own stuff. Um, Would you say just a couple, you know, a couple of things about that? And then I know you've got a resource or two that you can recommend for people that can help them continue to unpack all of this. Yeah, I feel that um, if, if parents can sort of take their own measure, take their own temperature of how they feel about something. You know, when you become a parent, as your child starts growing, you can possibly delve back into your own life, your own childhood. You're like, wow, at this age in my childhood, I was doing this. I was feeling that. And it can 
open up a few things that maybe you weren't expecting. So that's one side of knowing how you're feeling. The other side of it is just how are you feeling in a given day? Did you have a rough day at work? Are you are you fighting mm-hmm. a cold? Give yourself some space mm-hmm. and room. You're, we're all just humans. So take a measure of where you are so that you can, one, acknowledge that. And then once you're there, you will probably be able to acknowledge the ideas and feelings of that other person from a much better place. And when you're talking about children, they yeah. need our guidance. They need us to lead them into good practices of conversation. And if you're just not able to have it, honestly, make an appointment with your child. You know, honey, I know you really want to talk about that situation at school right now, but I am so distracted with getting dinner on the table or dealing with your siblings. Let's do this after dinner so that you can have your head right. You know, whatever that might be, don't get sucked into a conversation mm-hmm. you're not going to do well with if possible. Um, the other thing I would recommend is for anybody who is working with conflict on a daily basis, whether it's you know, professionally or in, in some other capacity, that they have a moment to themselves to, you know, clean themselves out, you know, purge some of the negative vibe that you may have been stoically absorbing. Mm-hmm. I've just started a new book and I haven't gotten very far into it, I'll tell you, but I picked it up at a conference recently by Izzo and Miller. It's called Secondhand Shock, Surviving and Overcoming Vicarious Trauma. And it's, it's designed for professionals. It even has a workbook in it as well, which I haven't gotten to that part. But it's sort of like secondhand smoke. Mm-hmm. You know, we now know that that can cause its own level of damage, even if you're tough, even if you're healthy. Well, secondhand trauma or shock or stress can also build up. So it's kind of, I'm looking forward to, to reading this book and see what um, they may have to say about that. Yeah. For parents, I love kind of going back to some of the foundation texts, foundation writings of how to have good relationships and promote your relationships with your children. And one of my favorite old school books is by um, Faber and Moslish, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen. And it's cited in like all modern books, but it really teaches effective listening and how to use that skill, one, for yourself, and two, for the children. But it applies to all people, coworkers, clerk at the grocery store, neighbors. I think it's just a fantastic skill, one that I hope I'm good at by the time I'm an old, old lady. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it seems like you're well on your way, so... Thank you for the yeah, and thank you for the work you do and, and for being that model for us and, and for other people. And thank you for the resources and I will make sure that I share those on the episode um, webpage so that people can find those easily. Oh good, thank you. Uh, so Charlotte, I'm I'm so delighted to be chatting with you. Like I said, there's so much to explore here and so I look forward to a future episode where we can dive more into the, the different angles of, of family dynamics and, and conversations and conflict. So look forward to having you back soon. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it and I really enjoyed your podcast. Thanks for all the work you're doing. Oh, thank you. Here's a closing call to action for you that builds on a point that Charlotte mentioned. Her tip to slow the moment is key to keeping conversations from becoming full-blown, unproductive conflict. You might slow it down just as she suggested, saying to the other person, this is a pretty big topic that I'd like to think about. Can we talk a little bit later? Or what do you need from me right now? 
You can probably feel an escalation in your body when the conversation is about to turn a corner. You might start to feel a little anxious or find yourself wanting to interrupt the other person, or as Charlotte said, jumping in with advice when it wasn't solicited. Notice what's happening in your body and in your thinking in those situations. And the next time it happens, take a breath and make a request. For instance, I want to talk about this, so can we come back to it after dinner? Or tell me more about that. Slowing down your response helps you to shift yourself out of reaction mode and more into listening mode. Another quick action item for you. Notice how your kids or your employees and colleagues respond to conflict. Consider that whatever you see from them is quite possibly a reflection of what they see from you. It's a look in the mirror that might please you, or it might be a little tough to swallow. Either way, it's useful information that could increase your awareness of your own conflict style. While I have you here, would you do me a favor? Take three minutes this week and let me and other listeners know what you think of this podcast. You can do that by sharing it, leaving a rating, or writing a review on whichever platform you listen through. You can find links that tell you how to subscribe as well as leave a review in the footer of any page at HowCanIsayThis.com. I also welcome your feedback and your questions through the contact form on the site. I'd appreciate hearing from you about what you think of the podcast and what you'd like to see talked about in future episodes. Part of this podcast is occasionally including listener questions that I and my guests respond to. Do you have a communication conundrum that you would like to share? I would welcome your questions for inclusion in a future episode. You'll find the online submission form at HowCanIsayThis.com. You can also leave a text or a voicemail 24-7 at 562-704-6643. And you'll find that number on the Submit a Question page on the website. And lastly, you can send me your question directly or your feedback to beth at howcanisaythis.com. And remember, no matter how you submit a question, you always have the option to be completely anonymous. This is Beth Bilo, and you've been listening to How Can I Say This? Our podcast producer is Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thank you so much for taking time to join me today, and I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously. Speak courageously.